We'll get to episode 223 in just a moment, but before we do, I'd like to ask for your support of I Can't See You. Whenever you shop at Amazon.com, please use my link by going to ICan'tSeeYou.com slash Amazon. Shop as you normally do. Check out as you normally do. It doesn't cost you anything more, but I do earn a small commission on most sales. Again, that's ICan'tSeeYou.com slash Amazon. Thank you so much for your support. I really do appreciate it. From Studio B in Swarthmore, this is the I Can't See You podcast with David. It's like blind people for dummies. Hello there, and welcome to episode 223 of I Can't See You. My name is David, at David Benj on all the socials. I really do appreciate you joining me for this episode, and as usual, I have a few things to talk about today. And as I mentioned in last week's episode, I had a big trip last weekend. I was involved in the leadership seminar of the NFB of Pennsylvania. It was held out in State College, Pennsylvania. And it was a lot of fun while there. <laughs> Traveling is always a thing. And it was a little nerve-wracking going because we were taking a train. The train pretty much goes in a straight line from Philadelphia to Pittsburgh, and once you get to Harrisburg, there's no way of getting to State College unless you take a bus because it stays well below along a straight line from Harrisburg to Pittsburgh. So there's a connection in Harrisburg to take a Greyhound bus. And the way it works, you buy one ticket through Amtrak, and then that works everything out. And there's some sort of guarantee that they have, I, I forget what they called it, a guaranteed connection or something like that. When we were at the station and we all met, there were, there were seven of us traveling together. When Simon and his dad got there, and his dad was just dropping off Simon. Simon's dad's name is Ron. When Ron and Simon got there, Ron looked up at the board and said, oh, your train is delayed. And it was delayed by about 45 minutes or so. Well, that delay sent me into a little bit of a panic though I'm sure the people who were with me probably didn't think I was panicking. The bus that we were supposed to connect with, there was around a 25-minute difference. We were supposed to get to State College at like, I don't remember, 10.50 a.m., and the bus was supposed to leave at 11.15, and I might be a little off by what time we were originally due in, somewhere between quarter of and five of. Well, with a 45-minute delay... That made me a little nervous about missing that connection. And there's not a real easy way to get from Harrisburg to State College. So we started scrambling. Since Ron was still there waiting with us, I had him look up Megabus and what time it left from Harrisburg. And we also knew that the Megabus left from Philadelphia at around noon. So we could have taken that if we had to. Again, I tried not to take Megabus. I just never had a great experience with Megabus. One time we broke down on the highway in New York at one in the morning. Jane and I were coming home from New York. A couple of times I felt pretty nauseous <laughs> on it. So I approached the folks at Amtrak and said, hey, look, our train is delayed and we're supposed to connect to State College. We've got to get there this afternoon. We have things scheduled and so forth. So they started looking into what they could do and knowing that there was a megabus, and they didn't tell me this, 
Ron told me this, but knowing that there was a Megabus made me somewhat comfortable, although like most Megabus stops, it's just at the side of the road, just like any public transport company. They don't have a terminal. They don't have anything. They leave you off at the side of the road somewhere. In Philadelphia, it's a couple of blocks from 30th Street Station. In Harrisburg, it's at a mall that reminds me of a local mall before it was demolished a few years ago called Granite Run Mall. Because we stopped there on the way back. Because I took Megabus coming home, and I'll explain that in a few minutes. When we went to the Amtrak folks, they looked around and said, well, there's, there's not really another bus from Greyhound that could get you to State College. I said, well, what are we going to do then? And they were asking if it's okay if we got there later in the evening and things like that. And we said, no, we have to be there. And finally, their solution if they weren't able to hold the bus, and I was kind of confident that would happen if we were only five or 10 minutes late, I was confident they would hang on and hold the bus because there were seven of us going on that bus. I don't know how many the bus holds. I want to say probably around 50, 55 people. I was hopeful for that, but then they said if we miss that bus, they would taxi us from State College, I'm sorry, from Harrisburg to State College. It's around 75 miles from Harrisburg to State College. So it's not a short little trip. And I know I had checked Uber because when I found out about the leadership seminar, I thought, man, I don't want to take Megabus. And there's only one way, I'm sorry, one time of going from State College to Harrisburg that's at a decent hour coming home. And There's a lot of trains from Philadelphia back and forth to Harrisburg each day. So that's not the issue. The issue is getting from State College or to State College from Harrisburg. I looked into Uber to see how much that would be, and that was close to $250 or $300. I don't remember the exact amount. So that was out. Even though I wasn't paying, I know that the NFB of Pennsylvania did not want to pay $250 or $300 to get three of us or four of us from or to State College via Uber, and that would have been double because there were, again, seven of us traveling together. When they told us that, I again, I was happy that we had another backup, and we wouldn't have to figure out how to get from the station in Harrisburg to the Megabus station, which, again, was this almost deserted mall outside of Harrisburg. It's not even in Harrisburg. You know, it's kind of like when The Eagles play the Giants. It's not in New York. It's near New York, but not really in New York. We got on the train, and again, everybody at Amtrak was so helpful. It was incredible. Now, one funny thing, I got a text and then a call from Lisa, who was one of our seven, one of our group of seven, and she was in, I guess, an Uber or a Lyft, and she said, you know, I'm going to be a wreck if I don't have coffee. Can you you go to, um, she mentioned a coffee place that used to be in 30th Street Station. It is since shut down, and I saw the other day on the news that kiosk where they operated out of, and it begins with an S, I just can't remember the name. And my friend Alex would know because they operate one on Temple's campus because he had a little run in there. <laughs> she said, that's not there. I said, no, nothing is there. Now, like I said, a couple of days ago on the news, I saw they actually opened something new there. But there is a Pret and there's a Duncan, and Lisa doesn't like Duncan, so I got her Pret. Well, I went into Pret to get her a coffee because, again, she was still traveling in. And when I got to the checkout, I had some money in my hand figuring Lisa is going to pay me money. 
cash, not give me Venmo, which of course she'd have to give Liz because there's that whole story with my Venmo account. She said, this lady, after I ordered her drink, which was a red eye, she pointed to a sign and tapped it. And I said, are you pointing to something? And she said, yeah, it's, it's uh, card only. I said, oh, okay. I don't know why somebody would point when I'm holding my cane in my hand and probably not talking directly to this person. But she did, and I said, okay. And I said, well, do you take Apple Pay? Which is very convenient for me because then I don't have to dig in my wallet and, and try to pry my card out. And just makes it a lot easier. I pull it up easily on my phone. And that's one thing that's awesome about Apple Pay. So I waited, and I got the drink. And then I went back to our group. Now, earlier, and I was lucky because earlier when I got Duncan for tea, I, got, I went there for tea. And it's the same one that I went to when I worked at the Blind Bodega. And one of the people there recognized me. It wasn't the girl that took my order. It was one of the guys that worked there. And he said, hey, I haven't seen you in a while and so forth and so on. Uh, the, the girl that took my order did not know that I get a large hot tea. <laughs> Everybody else, when I was going there all the time, knew as soon as I walked up. They had they started to get it ready. They told me the amount, and they knew to throw, I, I think it's $2.69, and I just throw the rest in the, the tip jar because I don't want to carry change around because I'll never use it. I, I can't feel what the denominations are with my hands, and I usually don't use change anyway, so didn't need it. When I got my tea, I have my cane, my tea, and my luggage, because I was the first one there because of the train schedule. Liz took me to the train station when she left for work that day, and then I just took the first train that came to go into Philadelphia. That got me to the 30th Street Station about an hour and 10 minutes before we were due to leave. And I was okay with that, again, because I knew I was going to get tea. I would have my protein bar, my crunchy peanut butter kind bar, which is delicious, and I love those. And that's what I usually eat when I'm traveling, whether in a hotel that doesn't offer the free breakfast or or on my way to or from. Once I got my tea, I had to put my lemon in it, and I usually do that near a trash can. But again, I realized, uh-oh, how am I going to carry all these? And it wasn't an issue from going from the Dunkin' to standing near the trash can because there's a ledge and it's only around 10 or 15 feet from where I got my tea. So that's not a big deal. The issue was once I put the lemon in after the tea was done steeping, once I put the lemon in, threw all that stuff out, the lemon and the the tea bag, how was I going to get to one of the stairwells where I propped my drink on the edge of the stairwell, which is probably around two and a half feet thick cement half height wall so it's nice it's almost like a standing table or a standing desk and that's what I do every every morning when I was working at the blind bodega I would just sit there and sit, well stand there and listen to everything that's going on around me how am I going to get there dragging my suitcase and my cane and my drink so what I decided to do and I tried this going from the trash can over to the the stairwell I looped my hand through the handle of the suitcase, which is a, you know, it has one of those pop-up handles and uh, metal uh, with a grip on the top, but two metal bars. So I put my hand through and hold my, held my tea through that. Well, the problem was I kept dragging my suitcase into my left leg as I was 
sweeping with my right hand and with the cane. And I was afraid I was going to end up tripping myself with my bag. For the last 10 or so feet, I just held my cane and the tee, and I didn't sweep. I was confident, not 100% sure though, I was confident that if I just held the cane at the angle like I usually do when I walk with somebody, Liz or Jane or whoever, I figured I would feel somebody that way. Now, it wasn't going to stop me from tripping over something if there was something on the ground because I'm not sweeping. I'm just holding it out in front, kind of the way a goaltender holds the hockey stick across their body like that. That's how I hold the cane when I walk with somebody. Hold it out in front and hold it that way. So if there is something on my side, it'll it'll hit it so I don't trip over something that may be sticking out that whoever I'm walking with doesn't see. And again, I was pretty confident because it was a wide open area. The only thing that I would have an issue with is if somebody was walking and didn't see me. But I get over there, no issues. Put the cup of tea on the on the ledge, put my bag in this spot, and then I put my cane where it wouldn't fall over. And again, there's like a little nook where I can put the cane up. That's what made it so nice. Everything kind of fit just nicely. My cane would you know, not fall down. And it was just nice to stand there and listen for the trains that are coming in and listen to the people talking. I know I mentioned it back towards the end of summer when I was still at the blind bodega. There was a crazy woman in the station. And while I was prepping my tea one morning, this lady is walking around and yelling and carrying on. And she would get in people's faces and start arguing with them. And at first I thought it was just somebody on a phone until she came near me and said some things to me. Well, she was there the other day. (laughs) And I could hear her, but I was probably around 10 or 15 feet away. And I hear her carrying on. And then I don't know if somebody asked her to leave, but she left or walked away or just shut up. But then there was another issue in the same general area. So I don't know if these people were together, but there was a guy giving a whole bunch of trouble. And he's saying, I'm not going to leave. I'm going to sit here and so forth and so on. You're going to have to get the cops to get me out of here. So come back when there's a cop with you. And, and, the, and then I was wondering if he was blind because the person who was talking to this guy said, well, here's a, here's a policeman right here. And he pointed to, I guess, somebody who was to his right. I could hear a little bit of it. And you'll hear in... <laughs> in just listen, that I did get some clips of both of them, plus some other things that went on in 30th Street Station while I was there. But this carried on for a little bit. I started to drink my tea, my phone rang, and it was Stacy, and she told me that she and Alana were there. Alana is Stacy's daughter and is not visually impaired. She's around seven, or will be seven, I should say. I told her I would be over there shortly. I just wanted to finish my tea because I didn't want to drag my suitcase with my tea across the station. And that was literally across the station from where I was. So I figured I'd finish the tea and then I'd walk over there. And on the way over, I'd throw my cup out. Once my cup was empty, I could just stick the empty cup in my pocket. I didn't want to do that while there was still tea in there. The train ended up getting there around 9.35, only about 40 minutes late. The red cap took us down and was very helpful. I'll tell you, the red caps at 30th Street Station, actually the red caps just about everywhere. I did have one bad one in Penn Station in New York. But generally, they are so helpful, so friendly, so professional. It's just outstanding. And everybody, 
uh, on both ends of that trip, both in Philadelphia and then when we got to Harrisburg, were outstanding. It was just outstanding, the service we received. They put us in a car on the train where I'm not sure there were any other passengers. So we all were able to sit together, and it was a nice ride, no issues, and we actually made up a little time. So by the time we were approaching Harrisburg, I said, I was sitting next to Simon, I said to Simon, I said, I guess now we'll have to figure out what we're going to do, how we're going to get, or if they held the bus, or what we're going to do. And the conductor happened to be there, and he said, no, no, the bus is also late. (laughs) So you'll be able to make that bus. Great. We get off the train, and somebody, there are actually two red caps took us off and walked with us from the station to the bus station, which sounds like a lot. It's basically out of the train area, down an elevator, and then you're there. Again, and there's a little bit of walking in between both, but it was nice, and these people stayed with us. And it was very helpful for me because (laughs) otherwise... Lisa and I would have been the ones to have led. In fact, Lisa would be up front and I would be in the back usually just making sure everybody's going the right way. And that usually works out when we do Keystone chapter meetings. That's how we do it. I make sure nobody's left behind, which one time we did leave somebody behind. Sorry, Simon. But it worked out with these people with us because, you know, we're all carrying our luggage or actually I guess the luggage for some people they left, they put on a bin, a buggy. And it was just it was just outstanding. And they actually stayed with us until the bus arrived, which was only about five or ten minutes later, and then waited until we got on the bus. It was it was awesome. It, just the service was awesome. Then of course the bus driver gets on, he said, Yeah, I'm new to this route, but I have driven before. <laughs> and we pull up to our first stop, which is a place called Lewistown, Pennsylvania. Is anybody familiar with this area? He was looking to see how to get from where we were at that time. He mentioned that to where the bus was supposed to drop people off. And I don't know why we even went there because nobody got off and nobody got on. Next stop was State College. He asked again if anybody was familiar with the area. Nobody knew anything. And of course, me and my blind friends couldn't really tell where we were. So we couldn't help the guy out. And at this point, it started to snow and ended up that it wasn't cold enough for the snow to stick to the street, and we were worried that that could delay us. But it wasn't an issue, so we ended up getting to State College. We got an Uber fairly quickly, so we, of course, needed two because there's seven of us, so we got Uber XLs to make sure our bags and our people could fit in there. And the Uber that I was in, the Uber that I ordered, was a guy named John, and it was, I don't remember if it was a town and country van. I don't remember what it was, but it was something like that. It was plenty of room for Simon, Jim, and I, and our luggage to fit. And Mark and Stacy, Alana, and Lisa went in the other car. And I don't know what kind of car they had. I think they said it was blue, but I don't know what kind it was. I think Lisa or Stacy had ordered that. Our driver, John, did not get out of the car to help us with our luggage. He popped the back. I took the luggage from the people right by where they get into the car. Jim got in the front seat because he's a pretty big guy, 6'2 or 6'3. Simon and I sat in the back and I put the luggage in and got the luggage out. As we're driving there and we're talking about the weather because there was snow on the ground, uh, I guess from this storm and John was telling us that we were supposed to, at the beginning of the week, they were supposed to get three to five inches and 
it turned out it wasn't going to be near anywhere near that. It was basically a coating to an inch, I think, when we were there. Enough to cover the grass and not really stick on the road. But as we're talking, John was saying, or as I guess I should say, as we're pulling up to where we were going, and basically the place was a country club where we were staying, and I forget the name of it. We've been there a few times before, and the place is very nice inside. But it's in the middle of nowhere, and State College is in the middle of nowhere. So we were in the middle of nowhere near State College. Boldsboro, Boldsburg, something like that. Again, everything is nice in the hotel, and I have something else to say about that in a second. But John, as we pull up, said, you know, yeah, I only have, uh, I only have one leg. Oh, okay. And then he said, that's why I didn't get out to help you with your bags. Do you need help now? Well, clearly we don't, John, because I was able to take care of it on the way in. I can certainly pull them out of the back of this and give them to my friends and we'll get into the place. But the fact that he didn't offer or even make an effort when, we, when he pulled up and we were getting in, that irritated me. And I usually tip the Uber drivers. I did not tip this guy. I tipped on the way back because Jay Wu, who took us <laughs> back to the bus when we went a couple days later, and listened to K-pop on the way. <laughs> he did, and he was very helpful. He pulled the handles up for everybody and did all that sort of thing. Awesome. Five stars and a tip. The other guy gave just five stars, and that's how I usually do it. If it's, if it's not tip-worthy, I usually give five stars unless the guy's a maniac. But I'll tell you about a maniac in, in a moment. The weekend was nice. We had – the content was – I thought it was pretty good. The presentation was a little lacking. And it's, I was expecting something like last year when we had a guy named David DiNoteris conduct everything. And he's just very charismatic and energetic and entertaining. Everything about him is great with his presentation. This other person was not blind. Not that I hold that against him, but you're, you're doing leadership for a bunch of blind people. I mean, maybe there's not that many blind leaders to lead something like this. I don't know. Uh, this person was an attorney or is an attorney. And again, the content was good. He was not nearly as energetic. And it just wasn't, the, the presentation was lacking a little bit. And he got a little frustrated with us because there were some things he was trying to tell us that we just weren't getting. But again, the content was good, and we got some good things out of it. It was nice to see everybody from around the state. Again, there were probably about 30 of us there. We, um, a lot of us had dinner on Friday night together, and that created an issue with the orders. Uh, but it was nice to sit with everybody. I have a picture or a couple of pictures to put up. I, I keep forgetting to put them up. But they're going to go up on Instagram on at NFB of PA uh, on their Instagram feed. Once, once I can remember to do it. I, and I will, because I, we have to get that account going. Saturday, dinner was taken care of, and we were a little late getting down there. I went down with Mark. We sat at a table. Uh, I think we were the only two at the table. A lot of people were unable to go. A couple of people canceled at the last minute. One person was sick, and that prevented a couple other people from going because they were the ride for these others. And so that part was a little sad. Nobody was there from... Greater Lehigh, which is Kirk Hunger's chapter, and Cheryl Frazier. And 
it was just it was that part is nice. The, the the social aspect of this was outstanding, and of course everybody went. Not everybody, but most folks went to the bar each night. And I am not a bar person. In fact, even when I'm at the bar, I don't drink. I, I drink iced tea. But I love going because, again, you get to talk and socialize with everybody. Again, and some people are not the ones that you normally socialize with. And also got to meet and talk to somebody who I never really spoke to before. Uh, I followed her up once speaking at a state convention. And, and the story that she had just couldn't <laughs> – I felt, I felt awful going behind her because uh, her story was very different from mine and – you know, was like a tearjerker and uh, just had it, it was emotional. And then there was me. <laughs> so, uh, but I got to talk to her. Her name is Carol. And the funny thing, Carol had come up and I was standing at the entrance to the restaurant with Lynn Heights, who's the president, and a couple other people. And Carol came up and Lynn said, hey, how's your room? And I didn't at this point know who Carol was. How's your room and everything else? Oh, it's good. But seems like it's a party floor where we are. And she's like, oh, really? Yeah, there was some, all sorts of carrying on. And, and I asked her what room she was in, and she said, 426. And I started laughing. I said, we were the noise that you heard, because Lynn, who was right next door, was in a suite and had folks come, in, come over. There was probably six or eight of us, plus Lynn and her husband, who were in that room. <laughs> and again, she had a suite, so we were all hanging out in the living room, and uh, she had, Lynn has a guide dog named Danny, who is a very nice dog, a standard poodle, I think. And uh, so that was nice, but <laughs> it was funny that we made that much noise for uh, Carol to get a little concerned about <laughs> being able to sleep that night. There's only a little bit done on Friday at these things because everybody's still traveling in, and a few people didn't get in until just before we were going to start, and, and a couple from Philadelphia got delayed, Harriet and Becca got delayed enough to they missed the whole thing because their megabus was delayed by about an hour. Saturday is the big day. There's all sorts of stuff that go on goes on on Saturday. There's the leadership stuff. And then in the afternoon, they do a NFB of Pennsylvania state board meeting. That was done in the afternoon on Saturday. And then there's dinner all together, which the NFB of Pennsylvania pays for. Sunday, there's nothing other than breakfast. And that was an issue because everybody was going down to breakfast. The place wasn't open. It wasn't because there was an issue. Well, there was an issue, but it wasn't a mechanical or food issue. It was the 12th of March, the day the clocks sprung forward. <laughs> so evidently, a few people didn't show up. And they were telling us they didn't know when they were going to open. So we uh, were talking about getting an Uber somewhere to just go have breakfast. Some said, no, we'll just wait and have something later. They, there's coffee makers in the room, so one person was going to go back and make coffee in the room. Simon says, do you want to go? I said, yeah. So he orders the Uber, and as we're standing in the lobby, listening to all these people call and yell at the people at the front desk, who obviously didn't know what was going on, because as we're there and people are calling the front desk, Harriet calls me or texts me and said, hey, they're open now. And so we canceled the Uber and went up there, and then Simon talked to the front desk and said, hey, the place is open so you can tell folks it's open. So that was the only hiccup. And again, it wasn't a big deal because we weren't set to leave for a while. We had at least an hour to, to go before we had to leave. So all in all, it was a good trip. Going to the Megabus, I had a little bit of an issue with my phone and I couldn't get an Uber driver. One, one group went in one Uber, 
but my phone just kept searching for a driver. It finally got there. We got to the bus just in time, which I wasn't really too worried about it because I thought we would be there in time. And it worked out great because one of the people traveling with us, I was worried about him standing for a long period of time outside. Again, it's just on a, you're standing on a curb waiting for a bus like you do when you're you know, traveling somewhere within your city. Except this is in the parking lot of a Walmart and who knows what else is in there. And you're just waiting there. So if it's raining, you're in the rain. If it's snowing, you're in the snow. It was a cold day, but we really only had two minutes. We got out of the car and got onto the bus. We weren't, the only, the only delay was talking to the driver asking, instead of getting off in Philadelphia, could we get off in King of Prussia? Because even though we were getting off in King of Prussia, our ticket said Philadelphia. He never even checked our tickets, this guy. And this guy was outstanding. I have something from that also in Just Listen. So it's a traveling Just Listen today. But this guy was outstanding and it made the trip home that much better. Again, because I've told you earlier, I am not a fan of Megabus. The seats aren't very comfortable. This guy made up for all that. He was friendly, professional, courteous, entertaining, making his announcements. It was it was just a good way home. And uh, I you know, made me think a little, a little bit higher of Megabus. So it was nice. We got to King of Prussia, and I ended up getting a ride back to Simon's house. Liz grabbed my bag. I grabbed my backpack. We threw it in the hour car and then went home. I got to sit in the back with Ziggy. Ziggy was very excited to see me. That was, <laughs> that was all awesome. So we got home, and things were good. Anytime outside the house, I was, I was happy to be away. And I didn't have too long to wait before I went out again because the very next day, we were scheduled to go help Becca, who is a member of the Keystone chapter. She's a teacher at Overbrook School for the Blind. And they were doing this professional development day. And we were going to be there to show the teachers who were there, who, funny enough, most of them are sighted. And I find it funny, like I mentioned when we went to St. Lucie's back in December, sometimes the way a sighted person tells a blind person how to do something is not exactly right, or sometimes just plain wrong. But you would think that the teachers would know because that's who they're teaching. They're teaching blind and visually impaired kids. But some of the stuff that we did, and and I was at a workstation with Lisa and Jim, And we were doing peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and pouring lemonade. And so Jim pretty much led it. Lisa and I helped out, and it all worked pretty well. Jim went through how you would reach for something. If you're blind, you don't just stick your hand out and reach forward. You kind of run your fingers along the table towards where you think what it is. So then your fingers gently touch. Maybe it's a glass. Maybe it's what you want. So... Instead of reaching where you might knock something over because you're reaching at full speed, when you're taking your fingers across the table, you're waiting until you touch something, feel it. If that's what you want, you grab it. If not, you move around, whatever that is. So that was a very cool way of demonstrating that. And again, everybody in the group, other than the blind folks, were wearing sleep shades so they could see nothing. So Jim went over that. Jim went over how you would pass something around the table, whether it's a salt shaker or napkins. Jim happened to be passing out napkins and explaining how you run your fingers along the edge of the table. And you would say to the person, all right, I'm handing you napkins on your 
left. I'm coming from my right. And, you know, just follow the table until you feel the napkins. And he was holding the napkins. Again, you're not sticking them, just waving, sticking your hand out, waving them around. Hey, here's the napkins. Because, again, a blind person is not going to see it. So then he explained how to do the peanut butter, an easy way to do it. Instead of using a knife to scoop the peanut butter out, you would use a spoon just because it's easier to hold what you need. And then you would use the bottom of the spoon, the bowl of the spoon, to smooth it around on the bread. Same thing with the jelly. Now, now one thing, even though they did not cross-contaminate by using, like maybe licking the spoon or whatever, People were using the same spoon for the peanut butter and the jelly. So just like a Reese's peanut butter cup, hey, you got peanut butter in my jelly. Hey, you got jelly in my peanut butter. That was going on, I'm sure. I couldn't tell, but I wasn't going to eat it, so it didn't matter. And then the pouring bit, Jim went over that. Now, one thing he was also talking about, how would a blind kid learn his way around the kitchen when they're small? And he was saying, well, you know, they'll go over, a sighted kid would go over and open the cabinet where the pots and pans are and take them out and maybe start banging them. And he was saying, you should let a blind kid do that. And I said, well, I said, I said, in any kids, uh, hopefully they, hopefully not, they're not searching through all the cabinets. That means they're not baby proofed. And I don't know about you. When our kids were little, we had these magnetic openings. So the kids couldn't get to the chemicals or couldn't get to whatever that wasn't something they should have, a whole bunch of food or flour or sugar, whatever. Everything was, everything was baby-proofed. And I mentioned that, and then Jim made the statement that I haven't been blind as long as him. has nothing to do with baby-proofing your kitchen, but I haven't been blind as long. I've been visually impaired my whole life, but I haven't been blind as long, <laughs> evidently. And Jim is a little bit older than me. Uh, all right, maybe 15 years older than me. That just rubbed me the wrong way. It doesn't, doesn't matter whether you're blind or visually impaired or perfectly sighted. If you have little kids, you've got to baby-proof your kitchen unless you're going to stay on top of them 24-7, and nobody stays on top of their kid 24-7. So I'd like to know, if you have kids, did you not baby-proof your kitchen and some other things, maybe things in the bathroom, things like that? Let me know. Please reach out via social media or the normal contact spots, and I will give them at the end of the episode. That kind of angered me. But one thing, to me, I had never been to Overbrook School for the Blind. I've never been there, and I couldn't get over how nice this place was. It almost reminded me of a, a college campus. Now, again, it's not huge, it's, but the building that we went into reminded me of something you'd see on a college campus. did not remind me of something you'd see on a school, just a uh, high school or grade school. And uh, I thought it was very nice. I was uh, happy to be there and happy to help Becca out. And again, it was a nice day. Now, it would have been nicer to not have it exactly one day after getting back from being away for a couple days because Sunday night when I got home, I had a million things to do and basically got three hours sleep, which I know for me is not terribly off of what I normally get, but still three hours is three hours. It's not four and a half like I usually try to get. So I was dragging by the end. There's no, <laughs> there's no doubt. And then I got home. I, everything got done. I, I think I was home by uh, 12, 12.30. I don't remember exactly what. And then I was able to get back to the stuff that I had to do because I was away for three days. It was a nice morning there at Overbrook School for the Blind. And I will put a link to their website in the show notes. I'm not sure... I don't even know. I guess they go from 
kindergarten through high school, but I'm not 100% sure. I don't, again, I don't know too much about the school other than I've heard about it since I was little, but I've never, ever been there. Coming home, I had an Uber driver that was probably more engrossed in his phone call than he was me, and his driving was less than stellar. <laughs> the stopping and starting where you're, you know, you stop hard enough where you come forward a little bit and then you start and you go back into the seat. Sorry, I'm doing that and I realize as I'm doing this, I'm walk- going away from the microphone. <laughs> so it just wasn't a great ride home. I got home in one piece, but it wasn't a great ride. So again, five stars, no tip. But that morning going and doing that, it's around 50 bucks. It was around 50 bucks 28 going one way and uh, I want to say 23 or so going the other way coming home. That's one thing that's that I just can't get past is the amount when you want to do something where there's not public transport to get you to and from. It just gets so costly. And going, I was going in rush hour, so that's why it was more. But the funny thing was I pulled it up and when I found out when I was leaving, I pulled it up and it told me my arrival time, which my arrival time was around 15 or 20 minutes before I needed to be there. I said, oh, it's too soon to order, so I'm going to wait. And when I first pulled it up, it said $35. When I pulled it up a few minutes later to check to see how long, it was $28. So I figured, you know what, I'm going to do it, and hopefully I'll get there. It won't be too early. Had I wanted to leave the house earlier, which, I mean, who, who wants to do that when you're running on three hours sleep, I could have taken either a bus, a trolley, and a bus, or just a bus and a bus, or I'm sure there's another way. But there is a bus that runs near the Overbrook School. I would have obviously had to connect from somewhere else, though. But I did not want to add maybe a half an hour to an hour of travel time. <laughs> so Again, especially since I'm working off such little sleep. So it was a convenience item, just like the convenience store. Uber is an is a convenience thing that you end up paying for sometimes, and I, I certainly did uh, on Monday morning. Again, worth going, though. I really enjoyed it, and I enjoyed seeing the school. Now, before we get to Just Listen, I just want to mention White Canes Connect, episode 65. It will be out by the time you hear this, and in it, Lisa and I talked with Tom... Sorry, I'm listening to my notes. His name is Tom Snedden, but it just said Tom Sweden. <laughs> So we talked to Tom Snedden from the PACE program. And what PACE is, it's the prescription assistance contract for the elderly. Anyone in Pennsylvania who's over 65 qualifies for this depending on their income level. And it's a pretty high income level to, to get involved in this. So your medications usually run somewhere between 5 and, I don't know, 15 bucks. Maybe more. I, I would love to know what the stuff that I take costs on something like that again, because mine costs th- costs thousands. So I don't know. And of course, I'm not 65 yet, so I can't do it. Although there is a way called Pace Cares where anyone 18 and over can maybe get some help. I have insurance, so I pay five bucks already, so I'm good. But that's because of my insurance and the drug companies program that they have. So we talked to Tom, and Tom is quite a guy he has led this program for 38 years. He's not the first leader, but he took over around nine months into the program. The first, the first person who led it either left or got fired or whatever. 
This guy's been working in the state government since the Schapp administration, which is from the early 70s. Schapp, Milton Schapp was the governor back in the early 70s. And so he's worked with every governor since Milton Schapp. And it was just interesting to get that perspective. It was interesting. PACE is funded by the Pennsylvania Lottery. And if you're old like me, <laughs> and, and again, Tom is a little bit older than that. If you're old like me or above, you remember when the Pennsylvania Lottery started, it started out with the daily number and the scratch-offs. One daily number, three digits, that was it. And now, as we talk about in the episode, there is a two-digit, there's a three-digit, there's a four-digit, and there's a five-digit number every day, twice a day, day and night. Then there are times when they have different types of lottos. I don't remember what they're called, but there's a couple that they run each week. And then, of course, there's Powerball and Mega Millions. Last year, the Pennsylvania Lottery took in $4.3 billion, and they netted $1.2 billion. It was plenty of money to take care of all of the PACE program and all of the other assistance programs they do for taxes, property taxes, and heat and things like that that they help the elderly with. Just incredible. It was a it was a great interview. One thing I'm a little disappointed as I edited it, the sound quality of Tom, whatever Tom was using to talk to us, was a little bit off. I don't know if he was just using his computer speaker uh and microphone, but that that made it the audio not great. And I haven't run it through Alphonic, which I use to clean up both that those episodes and this episode to make sure things get leveled right and stuff like that. So hopefully that'll get cleared up a little bit when I send it through, but his audio was a little off, and and I'm hoping, we also did an interview yesterday, and I'm recording this on Saturday afternoon. Lisa and I talked with Dakota Hogwood, who's in the BEP program, and actually has the spot that I worked at first for Kirk Hunger, the first blind bodega, blind bodega number one at the Green Federal Building, (laughs) at 6th and Arch in Philadelphia. That's her space now, and she was talking about that, and she has a great perspective of everything, and she's just 24. It kind of reminded me, you know, I opened the West Coast video that I owned and operated when I was 21, but it was nice to hear from her, and again, she she was good to talk to about this, and she had had another location, and she had opened it or taken over just before the pandemic in December of 2019. So she was in a place for about three months or four months. Pandemic came, that building closed down because it was a social security building and they are still not up and running. It's not viable because so many people are working from home that they're not even going to reopen that, it seems, the spot that she had. Dakota had a lot of great things to say. That's going to be episode 66. Tom's episode is episode 065, wherever you get podcast. I will have a link in the show notes so you can tap right over there. And the normal spaces, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, iHeart, Google Podcasts, and so forth. So check out both those, episode 65 with Tom Snedden from the PACE program, and episode 66, Dakota Hogwood from the Business Enterprise Program and her blind bodega at 6th and Arch in Philadelphia. It was a lot of fun talking to her, and I could talk business all day long, which I will then lead into this. This week coming up, I have a few things to tell you next week, because this week 
on Tuesday. I'm going to travel to Harrisburg. I was hoping to do it in just one day where I didn't have to stay in a hotel, but the meeting starts at 8 on Wednesday. There is no way I could be functional if I got up early enough to get to Harrisburg by 8 a.m. So I'm going to go to Harrisburg late in the day on, on Tuesday, stay over, go to the meeting on Wednesday, and then come home. So I have a plenty to tell you about that. That meeting is for the state licensing agency and the folks in the business enterprise program. One of the issues, and it just makes me so mad, one of the issues, they are still not up and running for training. So if somebody came to their counselor at the Bureau of Blindness and Visual Services and said, hey, I want to do the business enterprise program. Well, they're not doing anything yet. So, in fact, like I told you a few times, I was told it was closed. And it can't be closed because it's by an act of law, the Randolph-Shepard Act, that it even exists. And just to touch on that, the Randolph-Shepard Act was passed back in the, I think, 30s to allow blind and visually impaired folks, basically people who are legally blind or to totally blind, to operate businesses within state and federal buildings. Some people operate in prisons. Some people operate, like I mentioned, Ron and Beth. They have a place, a couple of places on rest stops along I-80 in western Pennsylvania. There are cafeterias. There are grab-and-goes. Those are the blind bodegas. And things like that. And they are, they, you can't open one until you have training. So training has not happened since the pandemic started. They have not figured out what to do. They've had three years to figure out what to do. And it just, it, it bothers me so much that I wanted to go to this meeting in person. I didn't want to ask my questions over Zoom. I wanted to show up with a suit on. And, and I don't know if I've mentioned this before. I hate wearing a suit. I don't really ever want to wear a suit again. I want to put on a pair of jeans or a pair of shorts, sneakers, and either heavy, warm flannel shirt and (laughs) turtleneck or a t-shirt, depending on the weather. And that's what I want to wear. And that's the beauty of working from home and doing things from home, because you can wear that. But going to this meeting, you got to look like you mean business. And so that's what I'm doing. I'm going to travel out there, spend the night, and then go to this meeting and then come home on uh, Wednesday. So that should have a few things to talk about because I, I'm interested to see how the meeting goes. Because again, it's even if you say, okay, yeah, there was the pandemic. What about since? Most businesses have been up and running and operating at a fairly normal level since, I don't know, nine months to a year. And I get it. It's the government. I get it. I'm with the government. I'm here to help. (laughs) Well, they're not helping. And it's not helpful to these folks. I know someone who started training, COVID came, training stopped. Now he has to start all over. But they don't even have how they're going to train people now. And this is something, there are programs available online from the Hadley School that people could have been doing during COVID in preparation for once COVID ended. Because two things were going to happen. One of two things were going to happen with COVID if you're in the program. You're going to survive, and therefore you're going to want to run this business, or COVID's going to kill you, and you're not going to run the business. 
They're the two options. Take a chance that the person's going to survive and let them do training some way from home. So many places did training at home. College courses were taught via Zoom or some other platform online. Business was conducted online. But yet this agency can't figure out how to train blind and visually impaired folks. And the Hadley School, which is a blindness-related school, it's, it's not Hadley School for everybody, it's Hadley for blind folks. You can t- take Braille lessons there, they send you materials and so forth and so on. It's infuriating to me that they haven't come, they've had all this time, if they were running a business like they're running this agency, the business would have folded long ago. And evidently that's what's happened because it's just not happening with anything. It is stuck in place. And that's why I'm going. So we'll see what happens when I get out there. Uh, I'm interested. I was talking with Kirk Hunger, the person who I worked at the Blind Bodega for, and he's going. So I'm excited I'll get to see him too. And uh, looking forward to that because I haven't seen him. I don't think I've seen him since September. I've talked to him a few times. And we've texted back and forth occasionally over the months, but I haven't seen him since September. He was supposed to go to the leadership thing, but as I mentioned earlier, he had just gotten out of the hospital. And even though he wanted to go, he thought it was better that he didn't go. The other thing I have on Monday, the 20th, I have an eye appointment. So I'm interested to see what my glaucoma specialist says about my vision. And it's just, like I mentioned last week, it's just terrible anymore. And again, I... I know it's a, (laughs) I do a podcast for people who can't see, but yet I'm saying my vision is bad. Well, it's worse than, (laughs) it's worse than normal. In fact, earlier today, I kicked Ziggy as I was walking from the kitchen to the living room. I didn't know he was down where he was and I kicked him in the foot. He's getting used to it because I, (laughs) but he still likes to sit near me or or lay near me if I'm in the kitchen doing something. And I told him, I said, you got to be on your toes with me because I don't see you most of the time. So I'm I'm just curious to see what the doctor says. And he might not say anything and just say, you know, keep taking the medicine because maybe it's going to help you there. As the weather has turned cold and kind of stormy the last few days, my hands hurt more. They're more swollen than normal. So I'm not sure how much the medicine is helping. And again, for what it's doing and the the negative effects, I don't know that it's warranted staying on it. So I'm hoping to have this appointment let get the feedback from my glaucoma guy, then sometime in the next week or two, go to my general practitioner. Uh, I want to have them run an EKG on me to see about my heart. And we'll see how it goes. And then I'll make the determination if I'm going to take the shot on the 2nd of April or not. And then I go to the rheumatologist next month. So a few things to talk about next week that are coming up this week for me. Now, as I mentioned, Just Listen is a traveling edition of Just Listen. The first clip you're going to hear is from 30th Street Station on the 10th of March. And at first, you'll hear that crazy lady carrying on. And again, I wasn't that close to her. So you're just going to hear her in the, not in the distance, because she was only 10 or 15 feet away. And then you're going to hear some other goings on within the station. And then you're going to hear the guy who was, I don't know if he was crazy or just didn't want to move, whatever. But here is the first part of Just Listen from 30th Street Station.
So I bumped the levels a little bit so you could kind of hear what the folks were saying. Hopefully you could, you could get something out of that. Again, it was, it's never a dull moment there in 30th Street Station. Sometimes there's birds in there. And, and again, it's a train station, so I know it's open all the time because the trains have to come through. And they, it's not like they have a garage door open and they <laughs> open her and they hit the button when they're coming in. So that is from 30th Street Station. Part two of Just Listen this week is the driver of our megabus from State College to King of Prussia. And this guy was outstanding. Like I said, he was a good driver. He was in his 60s. I heard him talking to somebody at the only time we made a rest stop, and I forget the name of it. He says it. You'll hear it in the clip. And he was mentioning how old he was to one of the clerks at this rest stop that we, it wasn't a rest stop, it was a gas station. He mentions it to them. And this guy was outstanding. Again, professional, courteous, and entertaining. So here he is, and I never got his name. Here he is on Megabus, traveling from State College on Just Listen. Family friendly, no matter what it may be, family friendly. Our policy, ladies and gentlemen, it is entirely up to you whether you wear your face mask or not. But protocol still requires if you cough, sneeze, you're on cover. Your mouth, and after that, you should have a disinfected wipe to wipe those germs away. You do not wish to spread germs for any reason. Sit back, and I will try. Uh, to do my best to keep it safe. Next stop, Midlandville. That's where we'll be taking our break, our only break throughout the duration of this trip. Thank you. That guy gave me more respect for Megabus than, than I think I've ever had. He was just outstanding. And we were talking, a couple of us, Lisa being one of them, and, and we were talking, Lisa and I specifically, were talking about the work ethic that folks in our age group, in our age group, I'm talking 40s, 50s, 60s, that guy showed up and was courteous and professional. I don't know if he had a headache, if he didn't feel good, whatever, but he was there. And then you go to the restaurant in the hotel earlier that day where <laughs> they, they somehow didn't show up for work on time. And I know that not every clock that you own will do it automatically, will spring forward automatically. But if you use your mobile or if you use most clock radios now, we'll do that, unless it's old, or unless you sleep in the kitchen and the microwave doesn't automatically move forward and back for daylight savings time, then I, I don't find there's any excuse. So there it is, just listen for this episode, and I really do appreciate you listening to episode 223 of I Can't See You. You can reach out all the normal spots on social media at David Benj, D-A-V-I-D-B-E-N-J, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube, where you can also listen to the podcast, like Ziggy does. You can also reach out via email, I can't see you podcast at gmail.com, I can't see you podcast at gmail.com. Please let me know what you like, what you don't like, what you'd like to see more of, less of, anything. I'd love to hear from you. Again, I can't see you podcast at gmail.com. And then there's always the phone. Give me a call, 646-926-6350. You've got up to three minutes. Leave your name and your town or your nickname in your town. If you leave a message, again, same thing. What you like, what you hate, show ideas, anything like that. And I will use it on an upcoming episode, and I would love to hear from you. Again, 646-926-6350. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of I Can't See You. As I said, I really do appreciate it. Be well, stay safe, and I will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to the I Can't See You podcast with David. 
please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. And don't forget to share the podcast with your friends.